so we're looking at uh, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you... Oh, sorry. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Great. My name is Mike. I am one of the leaders here at this church, and it's great to be with you all again this Sunday. Great to see uh, lots of you here as well. Thank you for joining us. If you're joining us online as well, great to have you wherever you are. Um, Please keep that passage open, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, uh, as we're going to go through that. But before we do, let me... Let me pray to God for, and ask for his help. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this prayer of Paul, we pray you would be speaking to us. Awaken us, Lord, we pray. Help us to pray all the more, not just today, but help us to pray this week and going forward in our Christian walk. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So this summer, we've been doing a little mini-series on words, on how we use words. Uh, John T. took us through a couple of weeks of how we use words with one another, with people around us. Uh, and I've been working last week and this week on how we speak to God, how we use our words to Him. And we're looking at two prayers of Paul. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and this week, we're looking at Colossians. So Ephesus last week, we're now into Colossae this week. Now, if you were here last week, you might have noticed that as Esther was reading through that prayer the tone of the prayer sounded a little bit similar to the one in Ephesians chapter 1. You might have noticed uh, it starts very similarly. For this reason, Paul starts with all this theological stuff and says, this is what's shaping my prayer. Quite similar. And you might see, if you flick back to chapter 1, verse 4, this is a church, this is what Paul says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Again, sounds really similar to the church in Ephesus. This sounds like a really solid church. They love God's people They're faithful to God's word. So, they're a church filled with hope, bearing much gospel fruit. Really, really positive. Paul gives lots of thanks for them. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So again, you see lots of similarity. Now, the big thing I said last week was something that ties these two prayers together is that constancy. Paul keeps praying for the church. You see that tone. We continually ask God to fill you in the middle of verse 9. There's a constant urge to keep praying for the church. That is why we're looking at these two prayers, because we want us as a church to keep praying for one another in the same way. And that's my prayer today, that we're fueled to do that in our own prayer lives. Now, after these prayers of thanks and going through all this theological stuff, Paul starts his prayer, and here he talks very specifically to the church in Colossae. Here's The two things I want us to take away that Paul wants us to see in his prayers. And this is where it differs from the church in Ephesus. So here's the first thing that that I want us to see. Keep praying that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Keep praying that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, if you're anything like me, I often ask God, what is the will for you in my life? What do you want me to do? 
it's usually when a, there's a pretty important decision you've got to make. So, you know, do I, do I move house and live in this area? Do I change jobs? What, what sort of relationships should I invest in? What do I do here? That's often when we start to ask God, what is your will? And I think that's pretty natural for all of us, Christian or not. We always want to understand what's the purpose and drive for my life. Is this the right decision that I'm making? And as Christians, we go to God for those answers. God, what do you desire for my life, my career, my relationships, and so on? But reflecting on these prayers for the last couple of weeks, praying through these two prayers of Paul, I constantly see Paul pushing us back to this top-down perspective. I mentioned this last week. If you weren't here last week, in the prayer to the Ephesians, what we saw was how Paul's prayers are taking us to the top down, saying, look, come to the throne room of God. Look at who God is, and then let that shape your prayers. The big, clear picture of who God is to shape our prayers. So I think it's good and right that we do pray about these sorts of things, about what's God's purpose for my life. But here's the thing. If we find ourselves praying this way constantly, or at least very regularly, I wonder if that reveals something of our, our hearts, where our hearts really are. Because basically the prayer becomes all about me. You're, you're saying, here's me, God, what are you doing to help me on my pathway in my life? On the trajectory I sort of, for my career, my relationships, my life goals. And in essence, what, what we sort of do is we sort of say, God, do you disapprove or approve of these decisions that I'm going to make in my life? But look at how Paul prays. He starts with this top-down perspective. And he says, look, I'm praying constantly that the church will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's saying, what is God's overarching will and how do we fit into that? That is how he starts in verse 9. Now, I know God's will is no small thing to talk about. And in the interest of time, you'll be glad to say I'm going to try and keep things simple, as simple as I can. So in the Bible, there seems to be two different distinct types of God's will. The first is often called God's will of decree or God's sovereign will, if you like. Simply that means God is in control of all things. He ordains all things. He sustains all things. And, it's, and this is really important because it reminds us of our relationship to him. It says, look, he's creator. We are creature. That's how John T. opened the service. We're worshiping a creator God. He's creator. We're creature. He's big. We're small. He knows everything. We really don't. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a great passage to see this. This is how, what it says. The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That is God's sovereign will. That is the stuff that God knows and only he knows. That's him being in control of everything. Now, there's a lot more we could talk about regarding that sort of will, but I don't think that's what Paul's specifically praying for. So we're going to park that for the time being. If you've got more questions about that, ask John T. Um, <laughs> But here, look at what Paul's praying for. He moves on to this other type of will, the second type of will, which is God's will of desire. That's what it's often called, or sometimes called God's moral will. Now, I know this is a bit theological stuff. It's, it's quite important, though, so stick with me. Basically, what that means is this is what God wants us to do in our lives. This is the stuff that's revealed to us in God's word. That's the second half of Deuteronomy 29, 29, if you remember that. The revealed stuff. How are we supposed to live? So what is God's will of desire? What does that look like? Okay, let's listen to Jesus. Let's, let's see what he says. I know we've been in John recently, John, John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes him should have eternal life. 
Matthew 18, 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let's go to Paul last week. Ephesians chapter 1. So much about God's will in calling us, adopting us, inheriting us into his kingdom. So from these passages, there are loads more out there, but it's pretty clear that a huge part of God's desired will is to see people saved from the clutches of sin and death into eternal life. Now that is pretty central to the Christian faith. I'm sure we'd all agree on that. But here's the second aspect of God's desired will, which I think we can sometimes neglect. Listen to Jesus again. Matthew 12, 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And we go to Paul again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So here's another huge part of God's will, his desired will, and that involves what we do. In other words, how we live. This is captured under that word, sanctification. Now that's a big Bible word. You might not be familiar with it. Sometimes we, we talk about God wanting to make us holy, but I realize that for some people that sort of looks like people dressed in white with halos over their heads. That's not the sort of image here. Let me try and illustrate so um, I, had, I have a friend, his dad, he, he, he worked in like kind of big financial stuff. And he had this fountain pen that he used for signing things. That's all that fountain pen ever did, was to sign letters, Christmas cards, checks, if you know what they are. I don't think they exist anymore. But that was it. It sat on his, in his jacket pocket at his desk, and it was always there, and that was the sole use, sole purpose. So if you got all the pens in his office out, or all the pens in his entire house out, and you looked across, you would see that fountain pen, and you that is my, dad, my friend's dad's signatory pen. It was set apart for that use and that use alone. It was distinctive. That is what it means to be holy. It means God is setting his people apart to make them distinct. So when you look through a crowd of people, you look at that person, the way they live, the way they speak, and you think, that is a child of God. So, that was a whirlwind tour of God's will. <laughs> Huge topic, but from a broad look at these passages, what we're seeing in God's desired will is two big aspects. One of salvation and one of sanctification. God's will is to save people from their sin, but God's will is also to see his people to be distinct, to be holy. Now, a great way that Scripture captures this is in the image of, of God's family, of being part of God's family. Now, I should have said this last week. I just, I'm just aware. I used this image a lot in last week's sermon, and I realized for some people sitting here, that image of family, of God as Father, may be a, a difficult one. And my prayer is that, that you would see the goodness of God in the gospel, as he says, you know what, I know. I know what the brokenness of sin looks like. I know the pain of sin and how far-reaching it is and how it can devastate families. He knows as a father who saw his own son nailed to a cross what that can be like. And that is why he says to you, look, I'm here to be your father. Come to me, because my family is not like that. So I'm praying that the Spirit would help you to see God as a father who knows your pain and wants you to come to him. You see, when God rescues us from the clutches of sin, he doesn't just neutralize sin and then say, okay, I'm going to pop you back and you just carry on walking your life and living your life. It's not like a game of Super Mario. I don't, I'm not sure how this reference is going to go down. I played Super Mario when it was not even in color. It was on this Game Boy like a brick. 
But you know, you know what it's like? It's 2D. So you have to run along, and you kind of fall down holes, and it makes a funny noise. You go, doo -doo -doo -doo, and then, but then what happens is you go back to that level, and you just carry on going as, as though nothing has happened. That is not what happens with God when he rescues you from sin. No, God rescues you from sin into his family. That is what God does. He says, you know what? You were a sinner. Now come here. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are my child. That is what God says. See, at the cross, when Jesus clothes himself in our filthy, sinful rags, he clothes us in his majestic, pure robes of righteousness. At the cross, when Jesus took on a crown of thorns in his shame, he places on us a crown of glory as his inheritance. At the cross, when Jesus took our place as unrighteous sinners, he gives us his place as the righteous son, as part of his family. And so I want, I want us to have this big view of the cross. It's not just merely about salvation and rescuing us from sin, though that is a huge part of it, but it's also the foundation of sanctification, of God saying and calling us his children. Another way to see it is it is actually a fundamental shift in our identity. It makes us realize God's will is to save us from sin so that I actually come to bear his family name. See, my name is Mike Son. That's my surname. In this world, at the moment... My name is Mike Son. But the moment I became a Christian, heading into eternity, it's now Mike Christian. It's Mike Son of God. <laughs> I just realized, I wish my name was Park or Lee or something, because then it works quite well with my name, but for most of yours, it won't work as well. But you get the point. Mike, <laughs> you get the point. But that's what Paul's praying for continually. He's praying that the church would grasp this, this reality, and that's why we need to be praying this prayer for one another too. That we keep growing in this knowledge of God's will. That he saves us, but also sanctifies us. Because that's a whole shift in our identity to be called a child of God. Now I realize I've done a lot in just one line in, in verse 9. Don't worry, it's not going to be this slow for the rest of it. But look at, how, look at the means. How do we get there? How, how do we grow in this knowledge of God's will? Carry on in verse 9 through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it, to the prayer last week. In Ephesians, similar, similar thing. It was all the Spirit at work. And that's a beautiful thing because it just shows us, where, doesn't matter whether you're in Ephesus or Colossae, God the Spirit is at work in us to help us to know God better, help us to understand His will all the more clearly. And that is why we come to Him asking God for help. And when we do, God gives. He says, my Spirit's with you. Look at, look at, to see how the Spirit illuminates your eyes, to see more of my will. That is God's work, His kindness, His grace in our lives. But the good thing is, growth in knowledge of God's will, that is not the end of it. That's not the, the end goal of Paul's prayer of the Christian life. Listen to this quote from a, a theologian called Jim Packer. Some of you may know him. He wrote a terrific book called Knowing God. And this is a line from it. It is a fine thing for children to be proud of their father and to want others to see how wonderful he is and to take care that they behave in public in a way that is a credit to him. And similarly, says Jesus, Christians must seek to behave in public in a way that brings praise to their father in heaven. I think this captures something of Paul's prayer here. Because Paul shows the purpose of this growth in the knowledge of God's will is in verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. 
and please him in every way. Literally, it says, that, so that you would walk, worthy, uh, walk in a way worthy of the Lord. It's, a, it's an active response to God's call. So that's the second thing I want us to take away. The first was keep, growing in the knowledge of, uh, keep praying so that you grow in the knowledge of God's will. The second thing is keep praying that we live a life worthy of the Lord. You see, growing in knowledge of God's will is inseparable with how we go on to live. That is the goal of Paul's prayer. It's to know God that he wants us to live lives that honor his name. Think about it this way. Think of, just imagine that we're going to go and, all of us are going to go in and work for a company. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lidl. I don't know how you feel about that. There's no democracy in this illustration, so you're coming with me. So we're going to all go and work for Lidl. That's what we're going to do. Now imagine we all walk into Lidl and the managers come down. What are they going to do? They're going to take us around and say, look at these offices, and then come, let's sit down and have a meeting. Now let us tell you about our philosophy, our values, our vision. This is what we do as a company. This is how, how we treat our employees, our colleagues, and this is what we do in service to our customers. And once we get that, what do they do? They say, okay, here's your uniform. You have your nice yellow T-shirt with the blue stripes, I think, and you've got your badge with the, the little logo and the font on it and your little cap. And then they go, okay, here's the motto. You're going to have to recite this motto because it's, it's massive for them. Big on quality? Oh, you're halfway there. We're, <laughs> we're halfway there. Okay, so they want us to be chanting that everywhere we go. Wherever we go, the, the CEO wants us to be ambassadors for this company, to honor its name. You know, when we're with our friends in a pub and they're like, do you know Aldi? And you're like, no, 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 little, <laughs> little. They want us to identify and be Glad to be a part of that family, the little family. Now, the illustration stopped. Just to be clear, I love Aldi and Little equally. They're both great. <laughs> but you see, it's a little bit like that for us as Christians. But the difference is, this isn't just some career choice. It's not just some job where we get a contract. This is an entirely new identity as God's child, where Jesus pays the price with his blood where he does the work already at the cross to bring us in and say, now you are God's child. This is at the deepest level of our identity, not at the level of our career, not even at the level of my ethnicity, our ethnicity. No, this is of our personhood. Who am I as a human being? I am now a child of God. And that is why our lives are to be distinct. Paul's prayer is that we would not live lives conformed to the world, but conformed to Christ renewed in our hearts and minds in view of God's great mercy. And that was a big problem going on in Colossae at that point in time. See, the church in Colossae was surrounded by all these false teachers and this culture that was dragging them to and fro. And they were saying, look, come, come and conform to our thinking and our way of life. Be filled with the knowledge of worldly wills that we want to give you. Identify with us and live like we do. Not the Christian way, not Paul's way, not Jesus' way. Sounds a little bit like our culture today, doesn't it? Constantly calling us to submit to its demands. To a culture which says, oh, the Christian way? That's old school. That's backwards. Why are you still there? Come here. Look at this. The money and the power and the success that the world gives. Why don't you submit ethically on things like abortion and sexuality? That's what we want. This is why Paul is praying this way. And he's praying corporately for the entire church. Come and see God's will. Live a life worthy of the Lord. And get this. He's praying for a church which seems really faithful and solid. 
That's what it looks like. And that just shows us, look, don't start praying when we start seeing the danger looming ahead of us. Pray when things feel rosy at church, when things feel good, because the world around us constantly wants us to live a life worthy of the world, not of the Lord. Now, just as a, a, well, not a side note, just to address the thing about what about the will of God in our lives individually, coming back to the questions I was asking earlier, I think this really helps us. If you were to come and ask me after the service today, what do you think I should do regarding a career choice? Or, you know, I want to live somewhere else perhaps. I'm not sure what to do with it. You know what? In those details, I can't give you a definitive answer and say you must live here or you must live there. I don't think I can go to Scripture and say this verse says you should live in SE1 or SE17. Both are good. What I can say to you is, look, there's wisdom that we have, we have to use, but there's a lot of freedom in the specifics, in the choice that you make. But here's something foundational I, I need you to be asking in your decision-making that I think God is making very clear to us here. This is the question you need to ask every time. Will your decision mean that you are living a life worthy of the Lord? Because I know for certain that is a part of God's will for you. So if your decision isn't going to honor God, if it's not going to be a life worthy of Jesus, then I'd say really seriously reconsider before you take that job, before you move or invest in that relationship. And please do come and ask me. I can try and help you and give you some wisdom. That does not mean don't come and ask me at all. And okay, so what does a life worthy of the Lord look like? How can we be praying for one another much more concretely? Paul gives us four specific specifics, four things that we can look at very briefly. And as we look at these four things, I want us to have a, just picture your favorite fruit, any fruit. It doesn't matter if it doesn't grow on a tree, if it grows on the ground, it doesn't matter, because you're going to stick this on the tree, be creative in your thinking. Pick your favorite fruit and just imagine a beautiful, huge tree. Just have that picture in your mind as we go through these. So verse 10, a life worthy of the Lord bears good fruit, bearing fruit in every good work. That is how Paul prays. So picture the fruit, this beautiful, juicy fruit, whatever you've got. Uh, I don't know what you, Let's go plum. Plums in my kitchen. That's the first thing that came into my mind. So you can smell the fragrance of it. You walk past. Oh, they look so purple and juicy. You pluck it. You feel it. You take a bite, and it's so sweet to the taste. So refreshing. That's the sort of image here. We need to remember that as Christians, fruit matters. What's the easiest way to tell between an apple and a pear tree? Look at the fruit. Fruit matters in the Christian life. Not because what we do or the fruit that we bear saves us in any way, no. But because it pleases the Lord. The work that we do, the way we serve church, the way we love our neighbors and our local communities matters to God because it's one of the key ways we honor Him. And that is at the heart of it. As a child of God, it's all about honoring the family name. It's being proud that I'm a part of God's family. I'm loving having him as my father. I'm going to be obedient to him. I'm going to watch my older brother, Jesus, and listen to him and follow him. A few weeks ago, John T. took us through the Beatitudes and how the Beatitudes that Jesus speaks of shapes the way we use our words. Look at those verses again and look at the rest of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7 because that is a great summary of what it looks like to bear fruit in honor of our Father's name. Here's another way to, that we bear fruit. Think about what fruit is for. What is it for? 
is there to serve others. Birds and animals and humans come to feast on fruit that is good. It nourishes them. It strengthens them. And that is what it looks like for us. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. That's another key way that we bear fruit. And notice also this other detail. Paul says, in every good work. Not just on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday during our focus groups or when we're doing so-called Christian things. This is in every good work. It's in the way we talk to our colleagues, in the way we talk to our neighbors, the way we work, the way we do our studies, the way we love our family, believer or not. In every good work, God has called us to honor Jesus, to honor his name. So let's be praying for one another this week that we would live lives worthy of the Lord that bears good fruit in every good work. So that's the fruit of the tree. Here's the second thing. End of verse 10. Growing in the knowledge of God. A life worthy of the Lord wants to grow in knowledge of God. So here I want us to picture the root of this tree. You often don't see it, but you know, the deeper it goes down, the bigger the tree, the healthier the leaves, the juicier the fruit. Now we touched on a lot about knowledge in the last couple of weeks. Last week, we pray, God, Paul was praying, look, know God better. This week, Paul's praying, grasp God's will more and more. And he's saying here, knowledge about God matters. It's important to know God and to know more about God. Don't dismiss the deep things of God. I feel there's a danger sometimes today in the culture that we're in where we push too far the other way and say, you know what, we need more heart and less head. And just notice, that is a very Western kind of thing that I'm seeing in the Christian world. In the Eastern world, it's much more the other way. We need more head, less heart. But I want us to push us away from that sort of thinking and say, actually, we need both. They feed one another. As our love for Jesus grows, we want to know him more. As we know Jesus more and more, our love for him grows. We need both of those hand in hand. So here's Paul's prayer. Strive to keep growing in knowledge of God. That means spend time in God's word. Read books that help point us to Jesus. And another thing we could be doing, sharing those resources with one another. Not to show off and, oh, look how many books I've read. But really listening and caring for your brother and sister, knowing what's going on in their lives. And, and then maybe God's providence would say, this, is, this might be a really good book for them. Same thing with podcasts. Let's use the tech, the good tech that's out there. There's a lot of stuff. And we as a church really care about this. So in the autumn, we're hoping to, to help the church in that by, by running different training courses that will help us to grow in our knowledge of God. So keep an eye on this space. But most of all, do what Paul does here. Pray. Pray for one another. Pray that we ourselves and those around us would live lives worthy of the Lord as we grow in knowledge of him. Okay, so we're slowly drawing that tree. You've got the fruit, now you've got the root. Here, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that, you, so that you may have great endurance and patience. A life worthy of the Lord is patient and endures. So now picture the trunk of this tree. It's the picture of strength of the tree of patience over time as it steadily grows. The thick trunk that looks so solid, that's endured age after age of some of the fiercest storms, that is the picture that we have here. 
See, as the roots are fed, the trunk grows and grows. So as we grow in our knowledge of God, as, as we grasp more clearly His will, as the Spirit works in us, we become well-nourished. As God gives us His power to help us endure through all life's ups and downs. Now I know for a fact the reality of our lives is our lives are not straightforward in this world. As we sit here, I'm pretty sure many of you yourselves or you'll know of others going through all sorts of things today. There are people in the church family who are enduring great physical hardship. There are many of us who struggle emotionally and mentally with all sorts of things, and the last two years really won't have helped with that. Some of us face discrimination at work or are shunned by family or friends because of our faith, which can be hard. And all of us will face spiritual battles all the time because sin is ever crouching at the door. So how do we endure? How do we keep going as Christians? Paul says pray because it's by God's glorious might. We pray to him and he feeds us with his knowledge, with his spirit so that we can stand firmly rooted in him. And so he grows us like these solid trunks so that we can endure and withstand whatever the world throws at us. Do you want to pray that for yourself? Pray that for your brother or sister this week. Pray that they would live lives worthy of the Lord knowing of God's glorious might and power to help us to endure. Here's the last bit. A life worthy of the Lord is full of thankfulness. You see that at the start of verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. So to take a step back and now picture that whole tree that we've drawn, the image that we've got there. Deep, deep roots, mighty, mighty trunk, beautiful green, healthy leaves, and plump, plump, lovely fruit, juicy fruit. Birds come and nest in the branches. Humans are running around, plucking them, eating it, delighting in it. That puts on full display the labors and the fruit of the farmer, the one who nurtures the tree, who allows the sun and rain to fall upon it. It's like that with us. As we give joyful thanks to the Father, not only for rescuing us, but setting us apart in this way, sanctifying us, making us holier, planting us and nourishing us to be more like his son, Jesus, in all of his beauty. I wonder if you've ever met those Christians who are just, just ever thankful in their, in their lives. Genuine, humble thankfulness to God. There was a lady at um, a church, that, at a Korean church I was at when I was growing up. Really faithful lady who endured a horrendous bout of cancer towards the end of her life. It was really, really aggressive. And it affected her and her family, she had two kids and her husband. She, she, lost her, she had to stop working. Her husband lost his job pretty quickly because he was looking after her. It caused a lot of stress on him. Kids began to really struggle at school. Yeah, and in all of this, she was at the weekly prayer meetings. Every week she was there. And if you listen to her prayer, she was praying thanks to God. Praying for her husband and her kids to grow in their love for Jesus. She was looking forwards to this hope of inheritance that Paul prays for in verse 12. And when, when we were around her, we, we were so drawn towards her. That was her fruit in a way. She was radiant with joy and thankfulness, and it inspired us. How could she endure? She had this deep, deep knowledge of God. She was ever thankful. So pray that we would be 
a church in that way, who live lives worthy of the Lord by experiencing and displaying this joyful thanks in our lives. Now, in all of this, we need to be really clear what motivates and drives us to live a life worthy of the Lord. This is how we're going to, we're just coming up to the end now, so we're wrapping up. But come back to Genesis with me. Do you remember Adam and Eve, the first humans God created? See, they were supposed to live a life worthy of the Lord. They were supposed to walk with God in the garden. And yet as sin entered their hearts and their lives, that walk was destroyed. They strayed from the path to live lives worthy of the world and of self, and they ended up outside of God's family. And that is the way we've lived for generations as humanity. We see it all the time in us and around us. Our sin leads us away from God onto a path of right judgment before him. Where we do not and cannot live lives worthy of the Lord any longer. We're not in his family. We're separate, separate and broken. So let me be clear here. Bearing fruit, growing in knowledge, enduring and being thankful are results of a relationship with God. These are not ways to become a Christian, to try and please God so that he might accept us into his family. We need to be clear about that. And God knows this. And so what does he do? He sends his very own son, Jesus. You see, we don't only look to Jesus to imitate him. No, trusting Jesus becomes the way to walk, the truth to hear, the life to follow. We look to Jesus as he gives us new hearts and new identities, as he calls us to be his children, his heirs. So keep that, you still got that image of the tree in, in your mind? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is described as being the first fruits. He's the promised seed of Abraham that was broken at the cross, buried into the ground. And everyone thought, oh, that seed's gone, it's dead. But this seed would burst into life, beginning a life for many, the first fruits of a massive harvest of the gospel fruit that continues on today. And you are living witnesses of that. And so it's exactly because of Jesus that we know and are enabled to live lives worthy of the Lord. Paul wants us to see that as he ends his prayer in verses 13 and 14. He says, how does it all happen? Verse 14, in whom we have, in, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is at the heart of our salvation and our sanctification. So as I say, when we pray this, this week, I encourage us to pray this prayer. And as we pray this prayer that we might live a life worthy of the Lord, remember that everything must be anchored in all that was achieved at the cross. It's through the cross that we're called from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, verse 13. It's through the cross that we have redemption and forgiveness of sins so that we can now be called children of God. It's through the cross that we now live in Jesus, one with him by his Spirit. It's through the cross that the Spirit works in us to help us to grow in the knowledge of his will, to bear fruit, to endure in the world as we head to the kingdom of eternity. And do you realize this is the extent of the cross? Do you realize we can pray to God because of the cross? Because at the cross, the curtain was torn in two, giving access to those who trust in Jesus to come and talk directly to the Father. And it's because of the cross that we can pray for one another. For we now have brothers and sisters who have been called to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light.
So would you pray, pray this prayer this week? Try it. It's quite short. Why not try that this week? Just every morning, afternoon, whenever you have the, your moment to pray, pray this prayer through for yourself. And then pray it through for one or two other people in the church. And I hope it fuels our prayers and our lives so that we might grow in knowledge of God's will, so that we might live lives worthy of the Lord, anchored in Jesus and all that he's done at the cross. Let's pray together as we close. Father, we're so thankful that you give us words to pray, that you show us what it means to pray and how to pray. Father, pray that this prayer would fuel us this week in our own prayer lives, that we will be praying that we would know of your will all the more clearly so that we may live lives worthy of the Lord Jesus. Help us in that, we pray. Help us to be a church that lives lives that are on full display of God's glory, that honor you in every way, in every good work that we do. Help us to endure and to be patient, to grow in the knowledge of you, and to be a church that is known for being ever thankful for all that you've done in our lives. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.